Welcome to When One Thing Leads to Another, a podcast that takes you freewheeling down the great internet rabbit hole of trivia. Each week, we pick a starting point, and then who knows where all the twists, turns and tangents will take us. But we'll be sure to discover a treasure trove of frivolous facts that will be as fascinating as they are useless. When One Thing Leads to Another is produced and presented by us, Helen and Bill Rich. Our theme music is by Justin Mitchell. This is episode 15, Magnum. I've decided to make the starting point for this episode one of my favourite things to eat at the moment. I wonder, can you work out what that is? You have developed quite the Magnum habit. (laughs) Yeah, Magnums. More specifically, double gold caramel billionaire Magnums. I'm an almond guy. And now I'm going to give you, listeners, a little glimpse into our lives. Picture the scene. There I am, sat on the sofa, enjoying said magnum. Noisily scoffing (laughs) the magnum. And all the while extolling the genius combination of biscuit and pecan (laughs) flavour ice cream, slathered in golden caramel and finished off in a caramel chocolate casing. I'm not working for Magnum, by the way. I was going to say, we are not receiving any uh, financial reward for this from Magnums. Other ice creams are available. Bill asks me... Who makes Magnum? So I have a look at the wrapper and I tell him it's Walls. Of course. To which he replies, it's funny, isn't it, how Walls just do ice cream and sausages. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's true. And we were both briefly stopped in our tracks, weren't we, as we pondered the slightly ridiculous incongruity of it all. And thus was born episode 15. I like it. Before I go too deeply into the rabbit hole, I just had to read you the first review on the Magnum website for the double gold caramel billionaire Magnum's pack of three times 85 grams. Your personal favourite. Yeah, the very first review is one out of five stars. Warning, this is not proper caramel. It is salted, utterly disgusting, worse than a mouthful of seawater, Bought at Chester Zoo, so paid a premium, two ninety for this. Advertising board does not mention salt. Front of packaging clearly labelled with caramel twice, but no mention of salt. Only mention of salt is in tiny letters on the ingredients. Too late by then. Even the picture on this page does not mention salt. File ice cream, disgraceful company. Leave caramel alone. Wow, someone needs a nap. That is brilliant, isn't it? Such rage Such and anger. Such vitriol. <laughs> so that balances out my praise of the product, really, doesn't it? Fair enough. It's not for everyone. The reply to that, by the way, is, Hi, thanks so much for your feedback. We'll pass it on to the Magnum team. Meanwhile, why don't you sign up for our newsletter? <laughs> anyway... Back to finding out why walls make ice cream and sausages. It is is the burning question of the day. (laughs) So in 1786, Richard Wall opened a butcher's stall in St James Market, London, selling meat and meat products. (laughs) And he gained a reputation for being a fine pork butcher. And in 1812, Wall received the first royal appointment to George, Prince of Wales, as purveyor of pork. Nice. Continuing to serve him through his later reign as King George IV. And his son, Thomas Wall, 
was born in 1817, followed by a daughter, Eleanor, in 1824, and the Walls' business prospered. And in 1834, he moved to new premises at 113 German Street. Oh, I know it, yeah. Yeah. And Thomas Wall took charge of the business when his parents died, and the business continued to thrive. And in 1846, his first son, Thomas Wall II, was born, followed shortly afterwards by a second son, Frederick, and they joined the company board and the business went from strength to strength, receiving a series of royal appointments Apportments. <laughs> royal appointments from Queen Victoria, King Edward VII and King George V. However, the business had always faced problems in the summer when sales of meat and meat pies and sausages declined ah. and staff had to be laid off as a consequence. Right. Thus, in 1913, Thomas Wall II suggested developing a line of ice cream to avoid these problems. Smart cookie. Well, there was a slight delay in implementing his idea due to World War One. Oh, yeah, that's a rather uh, inconvenient, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, but the ice cream line began in 1922. Wow. So there you go, that's why walls make ice cream and sausages. And magnums in particular came into being in 1988. And did you know that former James Bond, Roger Moore, virtually invented them? What? <laughs> in the 1960s, apparently, he told an interviewer that he wanted a choc ice with vanilla inside that he'd had as a child and have it put on a stick and he later received a call, allegedly, from the Wall's boss and was sent a real-life version of the product. This is according to a family friend. Wow, that is fantastic. Yeah, Wall's ice cream, however, deny any knowledge of this, saying oh. it's no more than a brilliant story. Oh, they should have totally run with that. Right, well, carrying on with the whole Walls story. Yeah. Uh, Walls is now owned by Unilever. Yeah. Which is one of those massive yeah. companies, isn't it? Yeah. And they remain the market leader in the UK for individual handheld products, <laughs> um, which also includes the Cornetto. Ah, the Cornetto. Now, do you know what Cornetto means in Italian? Cornetto. I do. What's it mean? It means little horn. That's annoyingly correct. Yeah, little <laughs> horn. Yeah. Do you remember, of course you remember the adverts. Oh, yes. Um, where the words to the Neapolitan song, O solo mio, yeah. were replaced with, of course, Just one cornetto, give it to me. They were pretty iconic, those um, adverts, weren't they? The Just One Cornetto. Everybody would sing it, wouldn't they? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, the voice singing that was rumoured at the time to be... Renato Pagliari. Now, do you know who Renato Pagliari is? No, I'm going to guess he's an Italian. Okay. Singer. Well, this might help. Save your love, my darling, save your love. Oh, you know that I will. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Rene and Renata. Now... Oh, Rene and Renato. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Now, unfortunately... Renato's son Remo says this is not the case, oh. so it may only be an urban myth, oh. which is a shame because oh. it would make for a great story, wouldn't yeah. it? Um, but uh, yeah, the song Save Your Love was a number one hit in December 1982 and was written by a bloke called Johnny Edward. Right. Mean anything to you? No. Well, Johnny Edward was only the creator and voice of Metal Mickey. Hands off, clever <laughs> 
And he was also in a band called the Manish Boys in mm. the mid-60s. Mm. And David Bowie was briefly a member. Oh, wow. And they even released a single called I Pity the Fool. But unfortunately, it was a flop and didn't uh, oh. do anything. And also, Johnny Edward, inventor of Metal Mickey, was also a DJ at pirate radio station Radio City, which was based at Shivering Sands Forts. No. Which are one of the sets of forts we can see in Whitstable. Here in Whitstable. Oh, wow. How about Flip that? He's a gold mine, isn't he? he Johnny he, Edward. He is VFM. Oh, what, what's that? Value for money. Anyway, back to Cornetto's. Yeah. Now, you will remember that there's a series of three films called the Cornetto Trilogy, directed by Edgar Wright. Uh, I do indeed. One of my all-time favourite films in, uh, in that trilogy. That's right. Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz and The World's End. Yeah. And the trilogy is so named because the films share certain thematic concerns. They're all in the same way about men who have to learn to grow up and move on with their lives, um, which I hadn't considered before, yeah. so that's quite interesting, yeah, isn't it? Is and also, a Cornetto ice cream appears in all three films. Yeah, I love it. And the colour of the wrapper of each Cornetto in each film relates to the plot. So in oh. Shaun of the Dead, the Cornetto wrapper is red... Oh as a nod to all the blood and guts. Yeah. In Hot Fuzz, it's blue. Oh, yes. Because it's about the police. police. And in The World's End, it's green, as a nod to the film's sci-fi and oh, yeah. extraterrestrial yeah, yeah. themes. And according to Edgar Wright, um, the idea that would grow into Shaun of the Dead came mm. from a single episode of Spaced. Oh, you remember I love, the, I yeah, love of course, Spaced. Yeah, yeah, the comedy series Simon Pegg co-wrote. Yeah. And created with uh, Jessica Stevenson, yeah. as she was called at the time. Yeah. And there's an episode in series one called Art. And oh, yeah. Peg's character, Tim, takes a dose of bad speed and stays up all night playing Resident Evil 2. Yes. Which causes him to hallucinate that yeah. he's actually fighting zombies. Oh, and so that's, yes. where, oh, that's brilliant. I did so, not know that. Yeah, so um, Edgar Wright pitched the idea of a full-length feature zombie movie based on that episode. Oh, that is great. And I found this very interesting, mm. also about Shaun of the Dead. Helen Mirren declined the role of Shaun's mum, oh. which Penelope Wilton uh, yes. went on to play. Yeah. She plays it brilliantly, actually, doesn't she, she? She does. She's perfect for that role. And there's a rumour going around the internet that Chris Martin plays a zombie, him off of... Uh, Coldplay. Coldplay. But it's not <laughs> true. It may be confused with the fact that... Yeah, he's in it, isn't he? He's in it. He appears as himself in a TV clip yeah. at the end of the film showing his support for a zombie charity programme yeah. called Zombade, which is uh, which is hilarious. But he never played a zombie. No, uh, no. Which is a little bit disappointing, but there you go, you can't have everything. I love how we've gone from Magnums to zombie films. Well, that's the beauty of the rabbit hole, isn't it? Yeah, well, now I want to go back to Magnums, if you don't mind. I but, don't mind. But Magnum in the singular. And take a look ah. at the one and only... Thomas Sullivan Magnum P.I. Of course. It ran from 1980 to 1988. Oh, wow, did it? Yeah, OK. Yeah, and thrilled us all with the trials and tribulations of the mustachioed private investigator. I was going to say, it was all about the glory of that moustache. And, and the shirts, his nice uh, Hawaiian shirts, because obviously it was set on the island of... 
Hawaii. And of course. Magnum lives in the guest house of a 200 acre beachfront estate called Robin's Nest. Do you lucky, remember that? Lucky man, yeah. yeah. At the invitation of its owner, celebrated author Robin Masters, who is an unseen character. Ah, okay. The voice of Robin Masters, heard only in five episodes, Go on. was provided by, when one thing leads to another favourite, Orson Welles. You are joking. Yeah. And this won't be the last you'll hear of him in this episode, wow. by the way. Would you like to hear some other guest appearances in Magnum over the years? I would like nothing more. Shannon Doherty, um, her off of Beverly Hills 90210, she yep. appeared in Magnum when she was 12. Okay. Frank Sinatra, Oh. he played a retired cop who teamed up with Magnum to solve the case in 1987. Oh, Blue Eyes, I had no idea. Yeah, and my favourite, Bruce Forsyth was in it. <laughs> You're uh, joking. Yeah, he played the host of a lottery game in 1986. Hello, Mandy. Hello. Hello there. Well, now, it says here you're an actress. Uh, have you been in anything we may have seen? Uh, well, maybe. <laughs> oh, I see. Well... Incidentally, did you know that Tom Selleck's contract commitment to the Magnum P.I. series cost him the role of Indiana Jones? in the first Indiana Jones film, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, right. Yeah. He was unable to take the part of Indy as Magnum was due to start filming in March 1980. But rather ironically, owing to the 1980 AFTRA Screen Actors Guild strike, right. production of Magnum was delayed oh, no. until December 1980, which would have allowed Selleck to play Jones. So he could have done it anyway. Yeah, he could have done it. I mean, I love Harrison Ford and the Indiana Jones franchise, but I do wonder if the films would have had a different feel to them if Indy had been played by Tom. If only there was a parallel universe yeah. we could just pop across to and then just watch Indiana Jones starring Tom, Tom Selleck. Selleck. Yeah, it's something I feel I need to ponder on a little more. Um, also, Tom Selleck was offered the lead role of Mitch Buchanan in Baywatch. Oh, yeah. But he turned down the role because he did not want to be seen as a sex symbol. Too late, Tom. <laughs> anyway, one of the main draws of Magnum P.I., the programme, other yeah. than Tom Selleck's moustache, was the light-hearted conflict between Magnum and the regimental ex-army caretaker of the estate, Jonathan Quayle Higgins III. Yeah, I remember him. Higgins, yeah, who was played by John Hillerman. OK. John Hillerman was also in another of my favourite films... Go on. The 1972 screwball comedy What's Up Doc, which was directed by Peter Bogdanovich, who was also a lifelong friend of Orson Welles. Ah, there you go. Yeah. Back round to Orson. All roads lead to Orson yeah. Welles. Yeah. And um, it starred Barbara Streisand. Um, I hadn't realised that her name was spelt the way it's spelt until I did this research. Well, what do you mean? What has it spelt? Barbara. It's Barbara. Oh, rather than Barbara. Yeah, it's Barbara. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I didn't realise that, anyway. Yeah. Um, and uh, Ryan O'Neill is in it as well. Of course. And here is the really interesting thing for me. Okay. All the music in the film is diegetic. Diegetic. Diegetic music is music in a drama, for example, a film or a video game, that is part of the fictional setting and so is heard by the characters. I see. Yeah, it's essentially the opposite of incidental music or underscoring, 
which is music heard by the viewer, yeah. intended to comment on or highlight the action, but it's not to be understood as part of the reality of the fictional setting. So in What's Up Doc, music is heard in the hotel lobby, in the lift, Barbara's character whistles certain tunes when she's crossing a street. Okay. She sings the beginning of As Time Goes By with Ryan O'Neill accompanying her on a piano. So it's all intrinsic, it's all part of the fictional setting. So in musical theatre, for example, in The Sound of Music, the song Edelweiss is diegetic since the character Captain Von Trapp is performing oh, the yeah, piece. Oh, so yeah, he serenades them, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, in front of the other fictional characters at a gathering. In Do, Re, Mi, Maria is using the song to teach the children how to sing, that's so it. that's also diegetic. In contrast, the song How Do You Solve a Problem Like Maria, that's non-diegetic since the musical material is external to the narrative, <laughs> it being a conversation that would, in a naturalistic setting, take place as simple speech. Right. It's fascinating. Interesting difference. Yeah. There are variations too, like crossover diegesis, where the two styles, diegetic and non-diegetic, are blended. Right. My favourite example of this is in The Muppets. A classic. With the first appearance of Kermit the Frog. The scene is accompanied by what initially appears to be a stock heavenly choir sound effect, which is then revealed to be coming from an actual oh, church yes. choir singing on a passing bus. Nice one, Kermy. Oh, nice one, Kermy. Wow. Is that good? Really good. Do it again. Oh, nice one, Kermy. Oh, nice one, Kermy. <laughs> Thank you for listening to When One Thing Leads to Another, a podcast produced and presented by us, Helen and Bill Rich. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please rate and review us on wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe, and that way you'll never miss an episode. A massive thank you to Justin Mitchell for letting us use his music as our theme song. It's a track called Homo Erectus, taken from his fantastical album called The Garden of Earthly Delights, which is available to buy from bandcamp.com. Thanks also to Acast for hosting us. Join us next week for another episode of When One Thing Leads to Another. Please note that all facts have been found on the internet and therefore we cannot vouch for their veracity. Mm -hmm.